That is the opening bell for today's episode of Going Off Track, starring Brad, Jonah, and Stephen. I said them in a reverse order, depending on who you are sitting next to. Today's episode features the man, the myth, the legend, Ray Capo from Jonah. Youth of today, um, shelter, better than a thousand, um, labels like Revelation Records and Equal Vision Records. And he's also known to those of you who like to bend as... Yes, in the yoga community, he is a super well-known teacher named Raghunath. And, uh, ha! That's a stretch. And yeah, he does workshops all over the world, uh, does a lot of retreats to India, is uh, an incredible yogi. and um, He's got stories that will make your hair stand on it he's got some good stories this one actually took a really long time for me to set up you've been working on this for about a year probably a year because his schedule is so crazy he's in india a lot he's only in manhattan usually to teach a couple workshops and in and out so uh and he still plays with youth of the day so he's got a pretty crazy schedule but i'm so glad he came by because you know for me hardcore and yoga two big parts of my life to just and this guy embodies both and is like such He's always had that, uh, he doesn't call it straight edge because he's an adult, uh, but he still has that lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, uh, and even, you know, before he was a yoga teacher, I mean, you know, if you ever saw his old bands, he would do like handstands, crazy splits, crazy, I mean, he's always had that, so I think it's he's so... Ad, he's, a, he's a limber guy. I think some people are just, have that, are born that way. I mean, I think you can develop it, but I think he's got this thing that just... Born limber? I know. Yeah, we from, are. We're all born limber. Yeah. <laughs> the older you get, they get stiff. No, but I know this for a fact. Because one of my daughters was born. Yes, please have some almonds. Today's show brought to you by almonds. Yay! Delicious nuts. Um, delicious nuts is also the title of my autobiography. Um, one of my daughters. Both my daughters were born breech, and uh, one of them was called Frank Breach. And Frank Breach is literally your legs are like you're folded in half. Frank. Frank Breach, yes. Named, <laughs> named after... Um, uh, Sounds like a detective. Yeah, Frank, Frank Breach. I know that guy. That was my Frank gym Breach, P.I. <laughs> I'm looking for gymnasts and ballet dancers. Um, he, uh, she um, is like ridiculously limber and will just sit and play and be in like a, a full splits. And I've seen her, you know, sit and uh, like, you know, women have that way that they can sit with their legs straight out in front of them. That's much easier for women to do than men. And she'll just kind of lean forward and fall flat. And my other daughter is limber, but not as much. And literally just how you were formed in the womb. Yeah. It's very bizarre. It's crazy. Um, if you like Ray Capo? I uh, thought he was wonderful. He was great. M- my favorite Youth of Day record, Break Down the Walls. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a classic. And check out Raghunath's videos on YouTube. There's a few of his high-flying yoga, and you can see him in action. It's pretty unbelievable how and, strong and, he is. And, and listen carefully. He will challenge you. Tie your shoes in a different way. That is true. Good ring. We can talk about Williamsburg. I know. I had no idea about that. That's so cool. What the history of Williamsburg? Well, I got I got news for you. When this thing starts rolling, I'm going to tell you about the oldest hipster in Williamsburg. I can't wait. I know the oldest hipster in Williamsburg. Really? Who's the oldest hipster in Williamsburg? Tell me when you're rolling. Yeah. Rolling. Let's uh, let's oh, do an intro. Do, oh, maybe do a professional intro. I'm gonna do a professional intro. Okay. Uh, today I'm going off track. Our guest is Ray Capo. Why is that off track? <laughs> the, <laughs> like, we're well, gonna yeah. do something really stupid here. <laughs> maybe even sabotage the show. 
That part is not really... Yeah, that's pretty on track. Um, that didn't sound like a... Very nice. That's how we like to start. Yes. Um, yeah, Yume no Rei from his bands, Youth of Today, Shelter, Better Than a Thousand. Um, or you may know him as Raghunath, uh, international yoga instructor. He might be your yoga teacher, and you're like, wait, he was in a band? Yeah. Believe me, I get that a lot. I, I can only imagine. At my yoga studio, people were talking about you all the time, and I had no idea it was Ray Capo. And they're like, yeah, I think he was in a band. I was like... It wasn't until I moved to the East Coast, because I used to teach in Beverly Hills. So I was like the Beverly Hills mother's teacher. I mean, every, every mom of Beverly Hills knows me. If I walk down the street, I get accosted by moms. And um, one day, one lady came up to me, and she goes... You were in a band, weren't you? This, she was 68-year-old professional dancer, ex-professional dancer. She goes, you were in a band, weren't you? I go, and back then I sort of kept those two lives separate. And she go, and I go, where did you hear that from? She goes, you were in a band. I saw you on TV yesterday. <laughs> I was like, what the hell was that? Uh, you know, there was a weird, uh, there were some weird documentary things I don't even know I was on that uh, they put me on and she saw me on TV. So sometimes those worlds collided. Now it's sort of like an open thing. I'll throw a picture of my live sh- old live show at a uh, on my website just for kicks. Um, but and and every now and then someone will say, even in the yoga world, I used to listen to your music. Right, that's so funny. Yeah, I grew up obviously. The first time I saw you guys was at the Euclid Tavern in Cleveland with Better Than a Thousand Battery. It was a good show. Great show. I remember that show. And I bought a Make a Change, that, that motivational CD you had that was like, <laughs> you're supposed to get a Make a Change journal. And yeah. I kept it and I bought Krishna Bees and had that self, that kind of CD <laughs> and I listened to it and that must have been like 12, 15 years ago. But it seems like it was yesterday. It yeah. was like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so you were saying earlier, Youth of Today started in this area? Or the Schism um, well, House? You or? know, actually in 1987, so really all the, right when we really were big and established, um, which was around the break down the walls t- times, we all lived in Williamsburg, which was um, 1987. And it was, it's where Schism Records started, which is where Judge started. Because at that time, Mike, the singer of Judge, was our drummer. And Walter from Quicksand, Gorilla Biscuits, was our bass player. So actually, we recorded, we recorded "We're Not on This Alone" when we were living in Williamsburg. Williamsburg was back then, by the way. We lived on North Eighth Street. That was pretty much the only street you could live on. Everything south of that was, I mean, south side of Williamsburg. I haven't really been to Williamsburg in a while. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's um, changed a little. It changed a little, but you could. <laughs> I mean, it was like the Wild West going to the South Side. I, I know it sounded like you. Yeah, you heard it. Really was. It was scary. I know Purcell got attacked on the Williamsburg Bridge by a gang. We used to ride our bikes across the Williamsburg Bridge to get into New York City, but it was it was a crazy. It was crazy, but it was so close. It was so close to Manhattan, and no one at that time. Uh, Avenue A and Avenue B just started getting gentrified, so that was our next place to go. That was reasonably close. So anyway, that's where we all started. That's where the Schism Records, Schism House, started. But I know the original hipster of. Of the original hipster of Williamsburg, because I've moved to California a long time, then I heard Williamsburg became very hip. But if you only knew the original hipster, it's my mom. Nineteen twenty-six, she was born, and she grew up in Williamsburg. There was an Italian neighborhood, a Polish neighborhood, and a Jewish neighborhood. I don't think the Italian neighborhoods 
exist anymore. But she and lived she right to the only indie record label at the time. Yeah, <laughs> but she knows everything. Knows That's everything amazing. Were you born and raised here? I wasn't. When they had kids, my father is from Jamaica, Queens. My mother's from Williamsburg. Okay. And so then when they had kids, they moved out of out of Brooklyn and they grew up in Connecticut. That's where I grew up. And so, um, you know, I have a, like the New York family, so they always came back to New York City. So um, when we started Youth of Today, I started... Purcell also grew up in the suburbs of New York, and then we ended up just, once the band started, we moved to New York City. How did you get into hardcore? Because hardcore, I guess, you guys kind of, I don't know if you guys started, but you were at such the forefront. I mean, like, it's not like you could listen to all these hardcore bands and get into it. it. The interesting thing was, back then, I don't know how I got, you know what it was? I was, you call it, I, I went to a real big Connecticut high school, and it wasn't the very wealthy Connecticut, it was a mixed bag. So there was a very wealthy group. And then there were sort of like gangs of blacks, gangs of Cambodians, gangs of Portuguese. It was a really gangy school. Like only in retrospect now where my children, I have four children, and they all go to a, 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 a Waldorf farm school, which is K through 12. And, you know, my daughter's bringing sheep to pasture in the morning. And uh, <laughs> they're like have this beautiful creek and they have two ponds. And it's like it's like idyllic. My son... My teenage son is on the calf club where they take care of calves and, you know, it's, it's a health food store and a 400 in California? No, this is upstate New York. Oh. They, have, they have a thing at the, you know, it's like it has raw milk, a bakery, a 4-H health food H has store. gone a long way. <laughs> What's that? What's that? 4-H has gone a long way. <laughs> so this is, what do you call it? This is, um, so, it, it, you know, when I grew up in, in my in high school, it's like, I, I only know my high school, what it was in comparison to what they have now. And sort of like, I, I, I remember witnessing a race riot in my home room. It's like, so and sometimes when you think of Connecticut, you think, you know, this very conservative upper upper middle class or very wealthy, but um, it was it was a mixed bag. So I just grew up in a mixed bag environment, but it was very sort of like still suburban-y. And since I had older brothers and sisters who lived in New York City, um, I'm, 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 I'm number six out of seven. So I had a lot of, brother siblings that were out of the house living in new york city by the time i was uh, uh, in junior high school um so i just wanted to get out of my high school it, it seemed very small a uh, small town mentality and i really wanted to get into some type of alternative something where it wasn't just like you know typical high school keg parties and things like that where we're in prom prom this and prom that and what your, town was it that was danbury connecticut Oh, okay. So it's yeah. not too far from there. No, it was, it was close. It was like an hour train from Brewster or something. Metro-North. Metro-North. I grew up on Metro-North. So when I was 14, I don't know why my parents let me do that because I would never let my 14-year-old do it. <laughs> she, I would just go, Mom, I'm going to go to the city for the weekend to see some music. <laughs> and she was, I guess in her mind, that was, seemed like a real step towards cultural, right. you know, like you're climbing the cultural ladder. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Little did she know, the kids that were in the bands, that they were all like heavily into drugs. It was incredibly violent. It was like, it was super decadent. Yeah. And um, where were you going to like CBs? Yeah, or? we were going to CBGBs every weekend and whatever night shows there were. There were shows all night long. But the thing, the interesting thing, and the very interesting thing in retrospect to today's today's world is like, 
when I first started to go to shows, there was only like two bands that had records out. There was no records. It was just everything was word of mouth. And the fact that there was even a word of mouth before the internet was fascinating. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you freaking meet people? <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is, I have friends from back then that I met just through fanzines that I, you'd pen pal. Right. I mean, to say about pen pal, like who had a pen? Who has pen pals now? Who has pens? There's, there's, there's something about being a kid. That, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something about being a kid that's like, you're going to find a way to communicate, you know, without whether it's the internet yeah. or like right. passing notes or fanzines, you know, like yeah. that's where you should look to figure out how to like solve communication. Who are the problems. two bands at that point? <laughs> Oh, I, th- I think the only bands that had records out was Kraut, oh, yeah. which I don't know if anyone knows Kraut, but they were a great band. They were really great. They had, they had a single out, and they, they had two singles out, and um, the Misguided, and they really sucked. But um, <laughs> So some of the better bands that didn't even quite record yet, you know? So we just know of them because we'd go to clubs, There was and there was a late night club, an after hours club which opened at midnight. That was A7. It was on the corner of Avenue A and 7th Street. If you've been to Avenue A and 7th Street recently, it's quite nice. If you've been there then, it was like the scariest place. It's like going into like... I lived on Avenue A and 7th Street. Yeah. But like in the past few years, not then. In the past few years, it's quite nice now. Back then, it was so scary. I can't even describe the fear that would like strike through you. And you had to hang out with all these punks who they themselves were incredibly scary. (laughs) But if you didn't hang out with them, then there was it was just like a ghetto. And so it was like, it, you didn't know what you were getting into. Every weekend posed incredible threats of danger and intense excitement. Was this after the riots in East Village or around the same time? This was before. Before. Okay. This was before that. This was in like in 83 and 84. Yeah, because it was before. Yeah. So I remember. So, But anyway, living in Connecticut, I had no sort of like musical guru to tell me, like, listen to this, don't listen to that. So it was all, like, sort of trial and error. But all I knew was I didn't want to listen to the typical things that everybody was listening to in high school. So I first discovered Bleaker Bob, which my, my brother told me that there's a cool record store I should check out. And that's when I first went through record bins. I was like, oh, my God. So I got myself a Sex Pistols record, Adam and the Ants record, um, uh, 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 UK Subs record. And um, sure enough, that one particular weekend, I never really got into hard, heavy, hardcore punk yet. But I think this was 82, 1982. Sounds so freaking old, doesn't it? 1982. <laughs> Milo Goes to College came out in 82. <laughs> did it? That was, it did, yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that it is. crazy. Um, so anyway, it was 1982, and I saw that. Uh, at the Ritz, which is now Webster Hall, at the Ritz, there was uh, Bow Wow Wow was playing. And the second night um, uh, at CBGB's, the UK subs were playing with the Young and the Useless. So I was like, what a great weekend. I'm going to go see Bow Wow Wow first. I didn't quite get the pumpkin, you know what I mean? I had a big mohawk or some type of crazy hairdo. So I saw Bow Wow Wow, had a great time. I even sent, I, She even gave me the mic, you know, for I Want Candy. I thought that was wow. sort of cool. Handed out the mic. It was the front row. I got backstage, sort of muscled my way backstage. And they were the ants. The backing band. They used to be... Yeah, they were Adam and the Ants. Yeah, they were the ants. Yeah. Wow. And, and um, I got to see Adam and the Ants, too. Purcell saw Adam and the Ants on the pier. They used to, you know, there used to be a great place on the pier before the Hudson River Park. Yeah. It was called the pier. The it's called the pier. Yeah, my... Yeah. my Purcell saw the plasmatics there. Plasmatics. Oh, wow. She came in on a helicopter or something. 
car blows up. But anyway, so uh, oh yeah, there's a fi- there's a plasmatic show where she drove the car off the pier or something. Yeah, I've I think. seen the footage for that. Yeah, yeah I didn't. Yeah, that Purcell was there. Uh, that's that's crazy. incredible. You ever seen that footage? <laughs> no, you, I never you, have. You, YouTube that. It's insane. It's <laughs> absolutely crazy. Uh, you'd have to really, yeah. <laughs> We're trying to figure out where to go with this. Maybe it's well, the car well, blowing up. So anyway, <laughs> that weekend after the Bow Wow show or Haircut 100, it was one of these shows wow. like that. One of these shows like that at the Ritz. Then I went to the CBGB's for my first time that night and... I saw Slam Dancing for the first time in a mosh pit. And I was like, and I was like, oh my God, Slam Dancing. I heard about this. This is the cool thing. I always wanted to Slam Dance. And I never, this was like my first day at CBGB's. So I didn't realize there were rules to Slam Dancing in a New York City more than any place in America. If you danced wrong and didn't know people from that scene, there was every likelihood that you might lose all your teeth that night. So here is some kid from Connecticut with a huge anarchy A on the back of his jacket and a curly, curly hair like yours, Jonah, <laughs> mohawk. And I start slamming into all the local... Oh, shit. <laughs> whatever. Street kids. You know, like the Bowery boys, basically, of the 80s. And I remember it was, I think, John Watson, who was the original singer of Gnostic Fronta. Do you know John Watson? He was pretty famous within that scene. He grabs me by the throat. I just slammed into him. I thought you were supposed to slam. I didn't think it was wrong. I didn't think there were rules. It, it was slam dancing. I didn't know there was etiquette of slam dancing. <laughs> so I started slamming, and he grabs me by the throat, cocks his hand, and is ready to punch my lights out in the middle of the dance floor. And I looked at him. I go, I'm sorry. I'm new to this. <laughs> and he just sort of threw me aside. And then uh, I watched the UK subs. I remember the UK subs being... Old, then they were yeah. old. I was like, God, these guys are so old, man. One thing, these guys were pretty weathered. I think they were pretty weathered. And I thought, but now, in retrospect, I think actually they're probably pretty young compared yeah. to me. Back then, when we were in bands, I was fourteen and once I was in a bands with a bunch of guys who were older than me, like ten years older than me. And in retrospect, these guys are so old. What losers? I was thinking they were only twenty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was fourteen. They were twenty five, and I thought they were such losers. <laughs> Oh, how sad <laughs> this world is. When we had Norman on the podcast, he talked about being exposed to Krishna and all that stuff just through needing free food, basically. <laughs> Was that sort of your route, or how did you kind of how did that kind of segue into your life? You know, it, it was interesting. Harley from the Cro-Mags was such a colorful, charismatic person back then because, you know, at a pretty young age, I was going to New York City. That was quite cool in retrospect when I look back at it. But Harley was one of these guys who had such a crazy life. You know, he was born on Haight-Ashbury. And, uh, you know, and um, he sort of like grew up sort of on the streets with his mother and aunt. who were, and His aunt was in a punk band. So he started playing. And he was, you know, he knew everybody. When he was in sixth grade, he knew The Clash. He knew that, you know, he knew, uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Andy Warhol. And so when he was in sixth grade, he was already sort of a weird cult kid celebrity. He wrote a book with um, um, Allen Ginsberg. Wow. I didn't know that. I know. know. There's a book with Harley's poems with Allen Ginsberg (laughs) illustrating, I think, or vice versa. Allen Ginsberg and Harley illustrating. But So anyway, he was already a cult sort of hero. And then um, he somehow liked one of the bands. I did another band, which never really got big. 
because that wasn't my it, not because it wasn't my band, but it, it it wasn't my band. It was it was three guys from a band called CIA, and they got me to sing in it, and we called it it was called Reflex from Pain, and um, we had some cool shows, played with the Circle Jerks in '82 or something like that, but. It was a great band because these guys were actually great musicians. Were my older bands before Youth of Today. We couldn't really play our instruments very well. I was in another band called Violent Children when I was 14, 15. And then, what do you call it? Um, Harley really liked this band. And so he sort of befriended me, um, which is good to have Harley on your side because he was sort of like a gang leader there. And uh, and he was hard as nails, and I felt like, okay, now no one will kick my ass because I'm friends with Harley. So he was sort of like my protection to get around in that scene. It, Harley just, Harley okayed me. I never hung out to the point where I'm hanging out on the streets, drinking a 40. I barely even know what a 40 is. You know what I mean? I didn't smoke. I didn't smoke pot. You know, I didn't take drugs. It's somehow... I just sort of was like into I was into sports and and I was from Connecticut. I had good I had a good family and I wasn't going to run away and live on the streets like a lot of these kids did. And um, so from that sort of bore the East Coast straight edge movement. And the interesting thing was there were a lot of other kids that resonated with that. We liked the music, we liked the aggression, but we sort of like have a positive view of reality. And New York had a very, very dark slant to reality back then. It was really, really, it was really insane. It was super violent and super into drugs. And uh, it sort of just wasn't, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea. But I loved the music and and the excitement for a teenager. It was, it was, (laughs) it was actually unbelievable. Um, were you inspired by like, like the DC band? I'm from Northern Virginia, so like you're from that, Northern Virginia. So yeah, that, everybody that was. Like was. Our, everybody was. That was back our then. whole world. Everybody was then. Like, and it was. It, it was, was before Minor Threat even had their album out. It was just the two singles were out, mm-hmm. and everybody. So everybody knew everybody. If you had, I mean, I was in a band when I was 14, Violent Children, and this is how it worked. We suppose we were all in a band. Okay, we're in a band. Let's save our money and press up 500 copies, and that's how you did it, and therefore. If you broke up or something, there it is. You want you, you you have 500 copies of a record out, and um and that's it. And once it's over, it's over. You can't get them anymore. Mm-hmm. So everything we didn't realize it, but this was the everything became collector's items. And so to find uh, a minor threat record after those 2,000 gets bought out, it's going to be hard to get them again because no one wants to get rid of their records. And so the Kraut record, sometimes they have, sometimes there'd be a repressing, and sometimes it'd be the third pressing if it was crazy. But generally, a lot of these bands, they pressed 1,000 copies, and that was it. 500 copies, and that was it. 2,000 copies, and that was it. They fold, a lot of times, we folded our covers ourselves, put oh, yeah. them in the plastic bags ourselves. Oftentimes, I know with that, you know, that band I did, you know, get someone to make the covers, a brother who works in a print store, or something like that. Everything was super DIY before even we even knew what DIY was. Yeah. You know what I mean? When, when, ha- when did you decide to start Revelation with that? Oh, and then we started... Rec- well, what happened was after Youth of Today was established, um, I had a friend in high school. You know, you know, when you're back in high school, I was always, a, I was always an avid preacher of something or other. And so back then it was, I would preach hardcore as the Bible, you know what I mean? Because it was such, first of all, to listen to hardcore, you should understand, it was impossible to listen to hardcore. For the, me and the t- three other kids in high school that listened to it, out of my high school class of 600, 
that's how you know popular there was no i mean even stuff like haircut 100 and bow wow wow was hard if you were if that person was into haircut 100 he'd be considered on the fringe and you try to sort of lure him into hardcore right so um the fact that Haircut 100 has come up seven times <laughs> as, as, in this conversation as, as, already. That is, is and, and but that's the carrot that you're like, if they like Haircut 100, you know, um, oh, you know boy I, meets girls. Oh, my God. When they let's hear get him. step. Oh, let's he's going to be let, in. Let, that's what it was like. That's what it was like. That's how I met Jordan from Revelation. He was a new kid. He was a new kid, I think, when I was a junior in my English class. And, you know, he's a new kid in class, looks sort of dorky. But he had an Anarchy A and a DK, like a Dead Kennedy symbol. I was like, huh, a poser. Let's get him. <laughs> Let's get him. <laughs> I can work with this. So I said, hey, you like the Dead Kennedys? You like the... I said, listen to this. And I gave him uh, a tape that had Minor Threat, Seven Seconds Committed for Life. No one had albums out yet back then. It was like 1983. So there's Seven Seconds. No, I didn't have an album out. Minor Threat didn't have an album out. Here's a tape. Agnostic Front and Negative Approach. That was the tape I gave him. Everybody just passed tapes around. And then I and he goes, I love that tape. I go, oh, you like that? Oh, great. Then uh, tonight, Negative Approach is playing and my band is playing with them. So I was in a band called Violent Children. We played with Negative Approach that night. See, we had a hangout by good fortune Man, I don't know where to start because this you can start previously or earlier. But there was a there was a hangout for Connecticut kids mm -hmm. called the Anthrax, which was an art gallery, and downstairs they did shows. And the guys who ran it, they um, were into art. So people like you know Keith, Keith Haring did all this stuff there. Keith Haring painted the now that I think about it. Keith Haring painted their their uh, crappy old refrigerator, which was probably now really? a collector's oh, item. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking refrigerator, totally. But there was a lot of people there i wasn't much of an art fan back then so i didn't really know him. i was you know 15 so that night we played so we had this hangout and we'd every weekend we'd hang out in bridgeport connecticut and that's where we meet other sort of oddballs from other connecticut high schools or westchester high schools and that's where i met purcell because the interesting thing was so if i was saying earlier no one had records so what you would do is you and your buddies would stay up super late at night like one in the morning and there'd be a college radio station that would play for one hour, from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m., punk or hardcore. And that would be, and you'd tape it with a tape recorder, and that's how you'd learn about bands. For those yeah. of you listening, a tape recorder is a device that you would carry <laughs> around and put a small piece of plastic with tape in it. It was pre-LaserDisc. Yeah. <laughs> it uses a magnetic medium to yeah. store data in mm -hmm. an analog format. <laughs> sometimes your tape was way cooler than the boombox you were recording on, hence the sound sounded like crap. And sometimes the boombox <laughs> ate your tape. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> then came this crazy walk band. <laughs> There's something going around Facebook that said... Um, uh, it was like, uh, if you know what these two have to do together, you're over 30. And it was a cassette and a pencil. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, oh, completely. I'm uh, still doing that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just found a bunch of really cool tapes. I was like, I can't use these. I don't have a player. No. You know, it's becoming like a thing in, in like the punk and like hardcore scene now it's to make annoying. tapes like coll as collectible things. Like oh, now really? they're kind of retro and bands tapes. will do like well, limited runs of cassettes. Oh, that's pretty... Stupid. Interesting. It's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so, I got so many things to tell you guys. I know. Well, it's cool. how, how did the yoga 
thing come about? Because even seeing you through today, I remember you're always doing crazy handstands. It seems was this always a part of your life? Even um, as a kid? Yoga. I got into yoga when uh, when I lived in New York, actually, because I, I, I was always sort of a, interested in spirituality. Oh, I, I was talking about Harley. Harley was into Krishna consciousness because basically, I think also he was fed by a big part of. All Indian. Now that I go to India regularly, I, you know, I take groups of yoga students to pilgrimages on India. It's a big part of my life, but I also spent time in India when I was younger. Um, it's a big part of that culture is is you feed people, anybody, not just the poor people or homeless people. You just feed. You give. You there's some like spiritual offering of food, and then you give people on special holidays. You just walk by temples or holy cities, and they're always giving out food like that. So in one of the, the Harry Krishnas of America follow that tradition of giving food that's all cooked with love and offered with love to anybody who comes, be the poor, sometimes they're homeless. A lot of times it, it fit in that it was these homeless kids or kids living on the streets. And back when Avenue B and C were sort of deserted, there was just abandoned buildings that's where everybody lived. They lived in the abandoned buildings. So they'd come out to Washington Square Park and the Krishna guys would, would feed there. And so then they got interested in vegetarian. It became a big thing, vegetarianism. And um, so Harley used to explain to me about Eastern philosophy. But, you know, those guys were all into, you know, they, they smoked a lot of pot. They were a little violent and they were, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they weren't straight edge, you know. So it's sort of like part of it didn't jive. Like, wait a second, Hindus do this or Krishnas do that. So it's sort of like it, it was. I didn't quite get it. I didn't get the connect. Connect. But that being said, you know, Harley was a great uh, influential musician and uh, influential. He's just a charismatic guy. And uh, uh, so anyway, he first told me about Indian scriptures, Indian literature, and stuff like that. At the same time, I was started taking yoga from a, a pretty famous. Uh, he still teaches in New York. This old Brazilian guy, um, uh, Dharma Mitra, his name was. He was a pretty famous yogi now. He's probably seventy five years old. But back then, it was like no one did yoga back then. Even the big Jiva Mukti school, you know, that was that was the David Life from Life Cafe, which was from the mm-hmm. East Village, and then. Uh, I remember David Life and Sharon Gannon. They're very famous yogis now. They used to be in that class with me and when I used to go to Dharma Mitra's class. I mean, but was it something... The, I, as a teenager, as a kid in a band, I don't see... It's specifically in the 80s, you're hearing yoga and go, oh, let's try that. Well, you know what? I, I think it's because, um, first of all, I was a vegetarian. And I wanted to when find... When did that start? That started when I moved out of my mom's house okay. when, I, you know, when I was 18. I, I, it resonated with me on some deep level. Like, I don't know how or where or where it came from. But um, I started reading about it when I was 16. But I realized I live with a bunch of Italian parents. There's no way I can, you know, I don't know how to cook. I'm, I'm just going to. But when I move out, I'm going to become a vegetarian. Even that sounds like big deal. You know, there's 12-year-olds that are vegetarians that get... But back then, it was a huge thing. There was no, like, Boca burgers or, you know, it, it, it was rare for a vegetarian options, you know what I mean? It just meant, like, you're not eating the main course and you get iceberg lettuce and corn <laughs> and canned corn for dinner. So, um, you know, tofu dogs. It was not... It, it couldn't... Even a veggie burger back then was sort of like corn and black beans, 
mashed together in a burger shape. <laughs> Put ketchup on it, and it's practically a burger. <laughs> Ketchup's vegetarian. It's tomato something. So and I, got, I got a job uh, at a, in the East Village. At a, it was, the restaurant was called Ahimsa. It was on 1st and 9th. And it was, it was a health food store called Prana and um, on, on 1st Avenue. And then a bookstore called Ayurveda and a restaurant called called Ahimsa, and that's where I worked. It was a vegetarian restaurant. And so Purcell worked at Prana, and I worked there. And there was a lot of, like, sort of, like, uh, disenfranchised Harry Krishnas also working at the the uh, cafe. And then there was just, like, sort of, like... And I wanted to learn how to eat healthy, so I started going to this store, Ayurveda, and, and taking cl- classes on Ayurvedic medicine. <laughs> In the 80s, like no one even, I, I just met this guy and he randomly turned out to be a, uh, a, an, a very old Krishna devotee. He was with the original Krishna Swami and traveled with him. Um, and so uh, anyway, he was the first you know person that was not, that was sort of like a, a nor, nor, quote normal guy that wasn't from the hardcore scene that was into and, and didn't look like a Harry Krishna walking around in robes, the shaven head. He was like a normal guy that was like, uh, Oh wow. You're, you're, you're a devotee of Krishna. What are, what's up with those guys? Are they crazy? <laughs> they seem crazy. The ones I know are really violent and they take a lot of drugs. Are you? <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and he goes, no, no, no. I traveled with the Swami for many years. I was, I was with him when he left his body. He was a, he was a great saint. He was like a living saint. I was, I got incredible, I got incredible inspiration from this man. Changed my life. And, and so anyway, that he was the first guy that was sort of an adult that I could relate to. I mean, I was, whatever, only twenty, twenty one or something. Um, but anyway, slowly and slowly, I met people who were just more like more sort of integrated with their own spirituality than we were, you know, we were all a bunch of kids trying to figure out our own path back then. But it's fascinating and, that you're at the forefront of, you know, hardcore with your band. You're also at the forefront of one of the most popular forms of exercise right now is yoga. <laughs> like literally, like you're there for both. <laughs> it and, was, um, you know what? In in retrospect of it all, it's just karma. <laughs> it's, it's all karma. It's yeah. all some astrological thing that got dealt to me at birth. Can I tell you a funny karma story? Is there any other kind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some depressing ones too. <laughs> I had a, what do you call it? One of my students, I don't know if I should tell this, it's a converse podcast, you'll never hear. One of my students was a, uh, she was older than me. She's in her 50s. But she grew up in a very well-to-do family in, in Manhattan. And then she married an artist and lived upstate. And they never had a lot of money. But um, I introduced her to a good Vedic astrologer. And uh, she told me that she grew up with John F. Kennedy Jr., who was one of her good friends in school. And she was best friends with him, and he ended up becoming the godfather of her children. And even though she never had any money, she had this very well-to-do friend that she grew up with. And um, she got her chart. She got her chart read by this swami and the swami said wow you're going to come into a lot of money more money than you've ever had in july he's reading the chart saying this to her she told me this and she said wow that's fascinating that you know that because and she actually told me this story separately that people magazine purchased her photos 
of John F. Kennedy Jr. for an exorbitant amount of money that after the 10th anniversary of his death or something like that. And she said, I can't believe you. And she goes, and they're writing me the check in July when you said I'm going to get this money. How did you know that? Swami just said, it's been known since your birth. (laughs) So there are pretty like, uh, I think when I look back, when I first got my astrological chart done in 1991, if you get someone good who reads it, they can read your life like they're reading a book. And I can actually track my music career. I can track my yoga career. I can track my touring career. I got so many crazy karma stories to tell you, you wouldn't even believe them. Me and Purcell met like this mystic uh, palm reader in, uh, in, in West Bengal. And he told us we were going to get in a tragic car accident. It was unbelievable. That's not a great thing to be told. No, it's a horrible <laughs> thing to be told. Especially when every other palm reader told us that before that, but they, were, they didn't have real good qualifications. But when we saw this sadhu who said, I will read your palm for 100 rupees, I will tell you your, your future. And I said, look, anybody can say my future. I'm a New Yorker. You know, you got to be. Is someone barging into the studio in the midst of. Come on in. (laughs) How are you? Welcome. You're about to jump into a, a good palm reading story. Where's, is, where's, where's the best angle for you? Do you want to be um, here or maybe like over here? Maybe looking? Like climb over there. Yeah, totally. Does anybody running this pod class want to explain what just happened? We no. just had a hot blonde walk in. He's going to. Uh... Divine feminine. Yes. <laughs> a very Yannick. He's <laughs> going to. Um, Welcome. Mace us all. <clears throat> Exactly. That's, that's where your brain goes. That's your brain. Feminine and obviously You've been living threat. in New York for a while. <laughs> well, hang out. He's telling a wonderful astrological story that I have a bazillion questions for after. All right. So anyway, we're sitting there. And, you know, this guy, this, this sadhu doesn't know us from Adam. We are wearing, like, orange robes of a monk. And he, I said, look. You want to read my future? You want 100 rupees? By the way, 100 rupees is like three bucks. But still, for the principle of it, I'm not going to give away 100 rupees to a guy who could just tell me anything. I mean, you want to read my future? I could tell you, okay, in the future, you're going to uh, marry, the, marry a princess of England. You will never know. So I said, if you, want to know, if, you want to, if you want me to give you 100 rupees, you tell me something about my past. And he looked at my palm and just goes, you're a famous musician. And you have a bad liver, which I had a bad liver at the time. I said, okay, that alone is worth 100 rupees. And then Purcell said, okay, read my palm too. <laughs> and he said, uh, you too are a famous musician. And at that time, after he gave him the 100 rupees, this guy dissected my entire life, past, present, and future until he got to the final point where he just goes, oh, and by the way, you're going to get in a tragic car accident. Namaste. And says 180 degrees and walks away. I go, wait, 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 a tragic. What do you mean namaste? You can't just namaste and walk away like that. Because I'm sorry, there's nothing can be done. You're going to get in a tragic car accident. And then Purcell, who me and him are always interested in the occult, we always said, oh, man, people have told us about a car accident. We never quite believed them, but this guy seems so authentic. We were like, please, you got to tell us about this car accident. He goes, I go, what can we do to avoid this? And he goes, there's nothing you can do. He goes, but I will tell you this, none of you will die. So I was thinking, well, you can get it. There's a lot of horrible things that can happen where you Shit, escape yeah. death. I could be a par- it could be paralyzed. Worse than death. Yeah, it could be worse than death. 
Maybe it does be, be better. And I'm thinking, oh, this is probably... Purcell's probably going to be driving, talking on the phone or something like that. And, I'm, and now I'm getting angry at Purcell. You know, I don't even know why this mystic's got me. So anyway, sure it's enough. obviously your fault. Fast, fast forward the cassette a few years later and um, Shelter got a hit record. My, my next band after Youth of Today, Shelter, we had a, a hit, hit record. It was like a, a charting record or something in Brazil. The Shelter Mantra record was very popular in Brazil. We were bigger there than anywhere in the world. And um, the record company threw some big, you know, record company party for us backstage at one of the shows in Sao Paulo. And they knew we were into Eastern philosophy and yoga and Krishna consciousness. So they um, they brought in a bunch of, you know, they try to make a special yoga. You know, that's how yoga record companies did it back in the, in the day. So they tried to make a cool theme and they did, and MTV was there and um, and they brought this very, very famous yogini of South America. It was a big ashram in South America. So folded in the, yoga that you melt in an oven. A yogini, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <It's like> a... <laughs> sorry. So sorry. Oh, look, she, she, the yogini over there just gives a... Oh. So anyway, uh, but her name was... Uh, what's her name? Regina Shakti, her name was. And she's also a famous palm reader. And so we're like, and she's like reading everybody's palms. And she's pretty famous in Brazil. So she said, Are you out of juice there? Okay. You're prepared. Continue on. Okay. So Regina Shakti, she's reading everybody's palms. And she's reading mine. Oh, you're going to have a great tour and you're going to go travel all over South America and blah, blah, blah. And then she, finally, she, her whole face changes into a pucker. And she goes, oh, oh. I go, what? What What are you seeing? She goes, you're going to get in a tragic car accident. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> I said, you got to read my friends. Immediately, you got to read my friends. And so I bring Purcell over there, who's also in shelter at the time. And he looks at Purcell's. He goes, you two are going to be in the same car accident. And there was like, I, and both of us said practically at the same time, is there anything we can do to avoid it? And she goes, no, but none of, but none of you will die. And I said, oh man, we've heard this before. And so um, we said, oh, well, maybe the band will get in a car accident. Maybe that's the whole band. I want you to check the other guy's palms. So we called in the bass player and the drummer. And he checked their palms. And no, these two were okay. So I'm thinking, man, it's just freaking Purcell. It's just Purcell is going to get me in this freaking car accident. So um, turns out a year later, or a year and a half or two years later, those two guys are not in the bank. They quit or we kicked them out or something like that. I can't remember what happened, but they were not in the band anymore. And we, we got two new guys with two new sets of palms. If you if you get my drift, and that year the band got in a bad tragic car accident, driving from Las Vegas to Salt Lake City or something like that through the Rockies, driver fell asleep late at night, rolled down a mountainside, and um, tragic. And you know what? No one died. Four people were mysteriously un uninjured. Like they actually climbed up the mountain, flagged down a, flagged down a car, a tractor trailer or something, and 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 rest, and they, and they called for an ambulance. But me, 
But three of us were treated and released, and one person got the same break Christopher Reeves got. But they said, but um, he recovered from it. The doctors just said they never seen anyone recover from that break. So it wasn't tragic. It was all the. Yeah, it was pretty. Tra- <laughs> It was. It wasn't tragic. It was traumatic. It was you traumatic. wrecked a damn car. But it wasn't tragic because nobody died. Yeah, no one died. It yeah. was pretty. Tra- it was okay, traumatic. maybe it was traumatic. So there- maybe the story isn't so impressive after maybe all. It is impressive. It's pretty impressive. Okay, it's impressive. I'm just worried that maybe this hasn't happened yet. I'm looking out for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. And by no. the way, the driver knew nothing. Nobody knew anything about this except me and Purcell. So it was, it was like we created it. I think for the first one to say, or the the palm reader to say, you're in a band. And you have a liver problem. I don't think that's a big stretch. If you're in a band <laughs> and you have a liver problem, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna get. That's well, uh, a, that's kind of a gimme. Even if you are straight edge, that's <laughs> on the road. That takes a lot of stress out of you. Now, with all the, right. uh, with so we the, don't, anyway, we don't have to dwell on the yoga thing and go back to the music thing. We like sometimes all of the them. old fans like to hear the old stuff. Yeah, we whatever. Like the magic. I think they're both super magic. Can I say? I told this to Norman how I first heard of Shelter. Yeah. Um, because I heard of Shelter before I heard of Youth of Today, is that um, my friend who got me into every band in high school, who he was, he was you. He was like, what are you listening to? Bon Jovi? No, no, no. Here, listen to this. <laughs> right. It wasn't Haircut 100. It was just haircuts. It was just, <laughs> you know. And uh, he gave me Out of Step and Milo Goes to College and a whole bunch of things. It got me into punk and hardcore. There was always, we're always fishing for people like you on the edge and reeling in. Come on, man, we, need, we need to hang out. We need to yeah. hang out. He was like, you don't drink. I'm like, yeah, I don't drink out of fear because my mother's Southern Baptist. You can, whatever you want to subscribe to is your thing. But um, uh, so he was going to see Shelter. And he was like, yeah, we're going to see this band. They, they're so straight edge. They knock beers out of your hands on the way to the stage. And I said this to Norman. And he went, no, we would never do that. But that was like the myth that was stoked around. It was, oh, like, really? it was, a, it was a show. But the legend was it was a show at the old 930 Club on F Street in, in D.C. And Shelter would come out angrily. No, this is wrong. Really? It's a nah. myth, you know. Those are urban legends. Yeah. Print the legend. That's how it works. It's press, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Now, you still straight edge? Would you still consider yourself that? Yeah. Don't drink or smoke. Mm-hmm. Very, but you're an adult, very, so you very, don't say straight edge. You say yeah, I, don't, I mean, some older adults still call themselves straight edge. Now I just call myself, yeah. A respectable father, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't. I'm just. I'm into really clean living. I have a very mm-hmm. clean diet. And uh, except for that caffeine you got going, huh? That coffee you're drinking. <laughs> this is a. Uh, it's some type of herb. It might have caffeine in it. <sighs> it's, it's a plant based. I don't know. I found it in it's your an, fridge. Yeah, it's an oh. Amazonian. It's an I Amazonian thought, herb. A lot I of it was it, one of those Starbucks of, things. No, no, oh, it's no. whatever's in the fridge. I, I have a question. Obviously, there's so many subgenres within hardcore, like youth crew, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, no beeping. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. And uh, it's same with yoga. I feel like there's so many different styles. I mean, the yoga you teach is it something? Is it like Ashtanga based, or is it based on something else, or is it something you've kind of taken your own twist on, or how did that come about? Your kind of style, Amanda. What do you think? Well, we could start with Dhammamitra, but yeah, my first teacher, he was a real, he was a real strong, he was a real, he, he was a really strong practitioner, if not like an incredible like acrobat. You know, the things he could do with his body. I mean, he's also a great yogi. I don't want to discredit him by calling him an acrobat. But definitely I got influenced by Astanga. I practiced Astanga for about six years. And then um, Vinyas, which is the linking of asanas together with breath, that grew out of Astanga. 
mixed with Mr. Iyengar's alignment. So that group, Vinyas grew. And then sort of, I took sort of more uh, strong asanas mixed with, uh, mixed with Vinyas, strong asanas and featured strong asanas. And, and due to like, I'm an artist, I also make, made creative sequencing. And then also I peppered it with my, with bhakti, which is the yoga of devotion. So there's a lot of chanting, there's a lot of mantras and the whole class is peppered with philosophy because I grew up, you know, living in an ashram, you know, as a monk for six years in an ashram for eight years. So you're going to get all that stuff as well. Where were you a monk? Where? Where? Mm-hmm. I, I first got into uh, Krishna consciousness in New York, but I immediately went to India there. And then I would go back and forth between different uh, places in America, lived on a farm for a while, would go back to India. I would just go back and forth. There was no like steady steady place was this a point where the band stuff was finished or this was is it- the point where um youth of today i quit youth of today to be a monk and that was at the youth of today's height i was just i, I was sort of like at my like uh the, the the peak of my like spiritual quest and it it all happened I, I you know sometimes sort of like when you get some type of i mean not that we were like the beatles or michael jackson or anybody you know but for me it was like sort of like a, it was like a the type of fame more than I've ever experienced it. And instead of having that fulfill those desires of, of becoming a, a, a touring musician that can actually tour and actually put some money in their pocket and stuff like that is if you know, you guys were musicians or no musicians, most musicians pay to play. You pay for the mic, you pay for the chords, you pay for your strings, you pay for the, so we actually had a position where people wanted to see us. We could tour. You got to actually make some money, although we never made that much money. But, you know, we got a record, you know, when you today got a record deal, that was like the one of the first record deals ever. When you, we got asked to be on Caroline Records, Caroline back then was like a very big independent label. They did, you know, White Zombie and uh, who else was on The Misfits. Was and, Lyle Pressler working there at the time? Who? Lyle from Lyle Lyle Threat? No, it was before Lyle okay. worked there. Um, but that's right. He worked there in the 90s. Um, but anyway, it, it was it was one of these things where no one ever paid us any money to do our records. It was it was sort of like, and we got a phone call, and we we're just like, yeah, we want to put out your next record. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. How much we? How much you? You're gonna give us money for it? I'm like, yeah, we can give you like I can't remember what it was. It was like twenty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars, something like that. And when he said twenty five thousand dollars, he could have said. $25 million. Because yeah. it was like, what? <laughs> what? What? We had never had more. I mean, I remember the first time we play, played with Agnostic Front at CBGB's and Roger gave me $100. I was like, oh my God, we got a hundred zeros. Yeah. I'm going to be a thousandaire. <laughs> oh, it was such, you know, I mean, I mean, even nowadays in bands, it's paid. You know, you have to pay to play. It's, it's such an expense. You just, it's a labor of love. By the way, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing every question you've ever asked so far in this interview, I've never finished the the answer. That's the whole point of this That's, podcast. We're fine. Okay, That's we're just perfect. rolling with this. Yes. Yes. We never did the finish the revelation thing. We never finished the CBGB's thing. We never finished the Lower East Side. Thing. It's all connected. We can't help it. Okay, we'll somehow tie it in. We never finished the yoga thing. Let's just keep this going. Let's it's keep karma. This going. So why? So you're going to so you're going to India. Was Revelation the label happening when you got oh, signed to so Caroline? No, we started uh, Revelation. I'll bring that back. We start. I started Revelation because I got my buddy into hardcore in high school, and he was sort of my 
you know, I'm a pretty loud person. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I'm, you don't have a microphone for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's how loud I am going through your channels. But I'm sort of like, I'm sort of in everybody's face. A man I can vouch for that, right? Okay. So, um, but my fr- friend was sort of low key. And, but uh, we didn't care back then. We just wanted to spread the good word of hardcore punk music. And so um, we were friends. And then um, he was always like, man, you because I was in Youth of Today, I knew all the bands of New York. And he didn't really know anybody who would just come to shows. He'd be like, man, there's so many cool bands out there. And then we started talking. We should start, because I had put out my own record previously. I said, you know, we, he said, we should start doing our own records and there was that band Warzone. I don't know if you know Warzone, yeah, but they were like sort of like pieced together band of hundreds of different demos, but they never put out a record. And then I was friends with Ray Bees. Um, and he said, he told me he was breaking up the band. And I said, oh, man, we should record, we should put out your record then or something just to remember you guys by. So I told Jordan, I said, yeah, we should, let's kick in some money and put out the Warzone record and we'll make a record label. That's how it worked. We made a thousand copies and we hand folded them all and made our own thing. And, um, you know, we'll make the money back. And if there's another band we like, we'll put out at that band. And it really started like that. And then that sort of inspired Warzone to become a band again. And they reformed their band after they broke up. The record came out after they broke up and then they sort of got inspired and reformed. Are you still part of Revelation or affiliated or? No. No. After when I moved into the ashram, I renounced everything. But then you had Residuals. I should have I should have renounced everything except points on the twenty five <laughs> bands that I've signed. But I renounced that. Too. And then you did Super Soul later. Was it or was then? That... No. Then I did Equal Vision. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I I had no idea about Equal Vision. I, that's insane to me. Are you familiar with Equal yeah, Vision? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they're big. I'm still friends. They're, my son dated his daughter recently. <laughs> my, Steve, 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 what do you call is my good friend still. He was youth of today's roadie. Okay. And then he, me and him got into, moved into the ashram together in 88. And we've been to India together and stuff like that. And then um, we're skipping a decade here, but to make a long story short. Was it the 90s? It was Youth of Today. In the 80s, Youth of Today, I quit Youth of Today. Mm-hmm. Youth of Today started in 85. I quit it in 88 to go to in- and left for India. And that's when Judge started and those bands started like that. When you came back with Shelter? Then I got back and after living in the ashram for a few years, truthfully, it was the Bhagavad Gita that turned me on to Shelter because Shelter was, it was, it was considered just my last record I'll ever write. I'm just giving up music. I'm renouncing the world. It's over. That part of my life is over in the name of a lot of fun. It caused me also a lot of distress. Whenever you get stuff in this world, you deal with all the pain of that stuff. You know, you get fame, you deal with the pain of fame. You know, you get, um, uh, you get some wealth, you deal with the fighting over who it was. Sometimes if you were ever in a business with a friend that never made money, it was more fun. And once you start making money, sometimes you argue about the money. Or a band, you know? Yeah. yeah. When you're like united against the world, it's great. And then, you get signed and I mean how many bands I know a lot of bands just because Shelter got big and we started meeting other b- bands that were also big you know there's bands that got to a level of big dumb 
where they just wouldn't travel in the same tour bus with each other. You probably know the stories too. They all travel in their own tour bus because they cannot tolerate each other. And sometimes they get in these fist fights on stage. (laughs) It's it's horrible. But, you know, it's a common thing. It's a common human condition is we get greedy and we're all sort of self-centered. And so it's just part of a human condition. And then we sort of think I'm right and they can't see my point of view. And depending on how evolved or unevolved a person is, then we're really self-centered or less self-centered. And so this is sort of a common thing. So, so anyway, that type of like type of like puny, but still some type of material success, it affected me and left a very bad taste in my mouth. And sort of like I just got over it quick. Um, and I just said, "You guys, you know, I'm over it. I'm leaving. I'm leaving." And and uh, and then, yeah. Oh, and so and so anyway, I wrote this final record, the the shelter record. But the more you. Uh, Eastern philosophy is a nice integrated look on spirituality, which is you don't give up what you do, but you do what you do in a more spiritual way. What turned you yeah. on to the spirituality? Because I'm, I'm assuming your family was Catholic if you're Italian and had a lot of siblings. You know what? I was always sort of a, interested in a spiritual, a spiritual spiritual things. I was really, you know, I was always sort of interested interested in spirituality, but I was not really interested in fundamentalism. Um, I don't know what turned me on to it. Sometimes they'll say it's what your upbringing, but some people grew up in them in an upbringing. Perhaps it was people that sort of loved me that were spiritual. You know what I mean? It seems like sometimes you- people can ha- have all the right um, uh, th- uh, theory of or philosophy behind uh, spirituality, but they may not be loving, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they might people. have the right doctrine, but they might be cruel to you. Well, I say there's thinkers and feelers in the world. You know, you're born one way or the other, you know, and you can always tell why when people talk, someone will say, well, I feel we should do this. I think we should do this. But it's not just, it's not just that. It's sort of like when, when people love you, that inspires you some way. When you get that love or just in the same way, if you get cruelty to them. So if, maybe I had positive influence of spirituality at a young, at a young age. Mm. But I know like in college when I was also true. Uh, by the way, when I say I was in college, I went for about, I was not interested in college. I was interested in music. Right. Went to college for a year to buy some time to realize I'm not interested in being a math major. I'm interested in being in a band. That's all I wanted to do. Um, I felt we got a good message. I wanted to spread the message of youth today. So that being said, um, I had a fundamentalist friend in um, college. And although I appreciated, it, I didn't appreciate fundamentalism. And that's why I think it attracted me to Eastern thought because it's a very broad understanding of a spiritual path that everybody, everybody's on a spiritual path. And if you don't figure it out in this lifetime, you have lifetimes to figure it out. And to the degree that you embrace materialism, there's some pain with that. And to the degree that you embrace some spirituality, you get to work through these, these sort of like bumps in the road and it assists you to sort of evolve. How do you deal with that as a father? With your kids, are you are you uh, like inclusive of it, or do you, is it something that you say, "Oh, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing"? You know, I, you know, it's one of those things you try to like. I think as a parent, you try to introduce your kids to things that you feel are the are good ethics, good idea of you know right and wrong. But ultimately, I can't possess the kids, and I can't, uh, you know, I can't. I'm not going to disown them. If they don't follow the paths, I can introduce them into vegetarianism. I can introduce them to different things that I'm in, in, not drinking or smoking. Or, but 
we're parents, you know, if you had a controlling parent, you know what that's like. It doesn't, I think the real thing as a parent is you have to inspire with love. You know what I mean? Not inspire them with your spirituality or not inspire them with your yoga or not inspire them with your, you know, your, your music or you got to inspire them with love. That's what inspires a person, um, in any relationship. Yeah, no, this is true. I'm, I mean, and I'm not going to say I'm do this great. I've got no, a 16 year old that's trying to drive me through the drive me through the <laughs> wall right now, and I want him to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Breaking you know down the mean? wall, probably. Because right? you know what's yeah. best. Because <laughs> I know what's best. There it is. Please, I know what's best. No, when but, I was that age, like 16, I mean, I hung out with ter- like a lot of bad folks, and like you know, my biggest fear was disappointing my parents, not getting punished. Was can I steal this water? Brother? That's it's for my. You. Okay, great. So I think you're absolutely on point. That. That's the only way to raise kids. Yeah, it's you know what I mean. Um, because you can't, you can't like, you can't drive it through their skull. I know you can't you in can, any way. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm very interested in like making a point and making a point instead of like making a difference. You know what I mean? So something I, mean, I sat him down. He listened to me, and I told him that he better. And he just stood there and he took it and I. You know what I mean? And then I go in the other room and he's like, giving me the finger. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so it's sort of like, it, it's a great learning process of, you know, of like leveraging with love instead of anything else. And like I said, I definitely don't have it down and I definitely have bloodlines of old Italian fathers speaking through my body. You know, I, I find <laughs> myself, DNA. it's in my DNA. I can't help it. And I think a lot of uh, like my own personal spiritual growth is to like you know, try because sometimes we have good things going through our bloodline too. But sometimes we have like a lot of insanity and craziness, and shit comes out of my mouth that, like, I was like, where the hell did that come from? Oh, I get. I remember that my daddy said that to me. It was set the day you were born. <laughs> it was right. I had another. It's also part of my karma. Yoga question for you. I mean, I've seen the high flying videos and and a lot of the inversion stuff you've done and. Like, I have a Mysore practice. I'm trying to jump into Bakasana now. Oh, you're a what do you call it? You're a yogi yourself. I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, he's Superman. So, <coughs> by but, the way, forgive me. Jonah's been trying to do this interview with me, and I've been like, no, your schedule is insane. I'm off, so, no, you apologize. haven't been blowing me off at all. You're here. What's that? Oh, and she's been trying to get me <laughs> yes. interviewed for two years. So, sneak her it's into amazing that this is happening. But, okay. I mean, how, I feel like so many people, has your body always been that way? Because I think so many people could train their whole lives and never be able to do the stuff that you're doing. Um, no, no, it wasn't. I remember when I couldn't jump to Bakasana. I remember when I couldn't, you know, grab my toe and stand up tall. I just think sort of like as... My kids too, she can do that now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes, a kid, sometimes <laughs> kids can do all this stuff. And sometimes as we get older, we sort of like lower the bar. And sometimes we really lower, and we use millions types of excuses. I'm too old for that. I can't do that. What do you can't? What do you think I'm a dancer? What do you think I'm a ballerina? What do you think I'm like a, uh, you know, uh, an Olympic, <laughs> Olympic athlete or whatever? It's like, but it's sort of like, you know, we really lowered the bar. So as yoga and as yogis, we're asking everybody to sort of like raise the bar, and in every aspect, your physical and your mental and your spiritual. And sometimes you, I tell this to my yoga students, it's the same type of thing. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll like, you know, yogis do this, you know, but not by, just by practice, you know, I'm going to tie my shoe and I'll, I'll like almost do like a a yoga pose, lengthen and fold when I tie my shoe and like, like a string, I'll just tie my shoe. I'll be like this, standing up and tie my shoe without bending my legs. And someone go, Hey man, that's pretty cool. You're pretty flexible. You can touch, you can tie your shoes. And I was thinking, Oh man, or you can touch your toes. Like, 
I was like, we really lowered the bar in our culture. We've really dropped it low, you know. But but you know, in our yoga class, we raise the bar high, and sometimes like we fall short, and we fall short. It's okay to fall short when you're jumping high, because it's like an it's if you've ever done 100 miles per hour in a car, probably, you know. If you're on the open road, sometimes you just drive fast. You don't even realize it until you pass someone who's doing 50. And you're like, Vroom! But if there's another car going 100, it doesn't seem like you're going fast. So if you're in a yoga class with a bunch of strong students, you feel like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not. But you got to understand, most people just give up with their body. And a punk, I know, for example, in a punk scene, we fortunately got into health, yoga, clean diet. You know, when we were... Ch- you know, 19, I was taking spirulina and stuff like that. I mean, it was just it was just weird because it wasn't super popular in that culture. Because it you know, makes your gra- lips all blue and we your teeth grass juice and stuff like that. But we were we were into it in a young age. I don't know why we were into it. But we just got into it. And so um, I meet people, you know, I, even my brothers and sisters are people that were just sort of like, what are you, crazy? Why are you doing that? Sometimes our bodies force us to get that wet. If, dude, I got to change my diet. Or, dude, I got to do this. Or, dude, I got to lose this weight. Or, got we get forced to do it by just nature. We're like, uh, I mean, we hit my age. I'm 47 right now. It's sort of like, if we don't do some radical changes to our bodies, we, this is when people start dropping dead. So, if you started, if you were into that heavy, druggy, you know, dr- drinking culture, and it's, it's fun. And then it becomes ugly after a while. When you start trying to manage, when we're 19, you can eat like shit and you still look great. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, it starts to catch up, not on everybody, but it starts to, I mean, it starts to catch up on everybody. Sometimes you, it, it's more obvious on their body. So that's why when we sort of get to a, a clearing in our mind, you want to get into something like yoga. It sort of asks us to stand up tall where a lot of people are just not even going there. You know, but sometimes they'll go there for another reason. They'll go there at different phases in their life. Sometimes it'll catch them when they're. I have students that are sixty. They're just like, you know what? I've climbed a. I've climbed this ladder of success with my life, and I've become very successful. And then I'm at the top of the ladder, and the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. You know, and I realize I got to climb back down this ladder, and so I got into yoga. You know, so they become maybe maybe they have every like good fortune in every aspect of their life, but without their health, say. How successful can they be without health? You know what I mean? Is the band still playing? Do you still do shows every once in a while? Every once in a while. We're about to go to Australia, Jakarta, and Singapore. Youth of Today. Youth of Today is. Okay. Hard to believe that people even give a crap. It's hard to I don't think it's that hard to believe. <laughs> what about Better Than a Thousand? Have you ever thought about getting getting that band back together? Uh, yeah. Me and Ken thought about doing it. Um, you know, it's sort of like that. I'm, my, my, I'm not on the pulse of the music scene at all. You guys were, you were dropping some names of bands and clubs and stuff like that before when I was out there, and I was just going, "Oh yeah, really? Oh cool. They recorded here. Oh cool." But truthfully, I have no freaking clue (laughs) who is who or anything. But every now and then, I get a phone call and say, "Hey, you want to go to Brazil?" And and something like that'll happen. So every now and then, like a couple years ago, we went to Moscow and played a show and St. Petersburg and Oslo. There's got a huge following in Oslo, and this time we're going to Jakarta. Jakarta has a huge fan. It's actually very interesting because um, it's not huge. Like I can walk down the street and I won't get like mobbed like like it must have been for Elvis Presley. But you will find one random person who's like, holy crap, it's Ray Capo! <laughs> like, you know, you're walking down the street. When I first started dating my wife, who's not punk rock or hardcore or anything, 
this would happen, you know, we'd be like at a toll booth or something like that. <laughs> and then the person would be like, excuse me, are you Ray Capo? <laughs> and my wife would be like, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I cannot believe this. Oh my God. Can you sign this, you know, New York state three-way ticket or something like that? <laughs> and my wife would be like, who were you? Were you in Fight Club? I, I was like, it's a long story. But now, thanks to YouTube, you can see all of it. Uh, right. right. Fortunately, she doesn't care. How about much. your kids? Like, you, you have a 16-year-old son. Is he like, wow, my dad was in a hardcore band? Or, uh, yeah, actually, dad. I brought... Uh, yeah, I used to bring them... I wouldn't let them li- listen to Youth of Today until they were a little bit older because we swore a lot. But it was positive. 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 These songs positive. like honesty. I mean, those are all good values. Yeah, let them listen to them now. But, <laughs> but they listened to Shelter because Shelter was a little bit more clean lyric. But um, yeah, my littler kids, I'll wait more with them. But yeah. And if people want to go to India with you, do, they can just go to your site. I mean, is it can anyone do dot org? Okay. R a g h u n a t h dot org. How'd you get the other it. name? I got it from a teacher in India. Gave it to me. And if I go to India, can I witness levitation? By the way, <laughs> maybe. You might. Have you? It's usually the abs, man. They're usually holding the <laughs> Have you witnessed it? Have I witnessed it? No. no. I knew somebody that claimed that absolutely have seen somebody levitate. There's guys who do it, but they're like, they're holding themselves. It's, they're, it's like all stomach balance. Mm. Now. There's videos, man. <laughs> and they must be real if they're on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but... Uh, yeah, strangely enough, I always get one person from the music scene who comes on the trip. Per yeah. trip, one person randomly comes. And they're just they're bugging you with questions about Revelation. <laughs> no, they're actually pretty cool. <laughs> they're actually pretty cool every time. But it's it's cool to have that connection, you know, because people know me in a different way. That it always is f- funny when you do run into some random... I had a good... Not even that long ago, I was running from, I was teaching at Pure Yoga and running to catch the express train at 86th Street or something. Or, and a cop grabbed me by the arm. And I, I was like, uh, uh, I immediately, whenever I see a cop, I'm sorry. That was the first thing that came to me. I'm sorry. He goes, hey, man, I heard you guys are doing a reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, Ray, Ray. Ray Capo, Raghunath, awesome dude. That was a pretty incredible episode, it's I ins- think. It, I love the fact where he said, I haven't finished any story. And like, But like, all the, the meaty parts are the best parts. We talked when he left. Do you remember this? That I want to do with Ray and Lau Preslar and whoever else we start getting on the podcast from those days. Like, like an old school hardcore punk rock roundtable. And just sit and go, all right, guys, talk. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. I was talking about that with Brad even earlier today before you were here. Like, uh, just like all these New York stories. I mean, like, just like like we'll talk our ear off would be Jimmy G. Oh yeah, we'll get him in here. That would be sick. I just re-listened to the episode with Arturo and Lisa, Mm -hmm. and just like some of those stories, man. I feel like that stuff needs to be preserved because it's Mm -hmm. like, especially what that area is turning into now. Like once it changes and that crosses over and it just becomes like NYU just, it's like that no one's going to know this stuff exists unless you kind of get the people who are there talking about it. You lived in New York for any amount of time. I mean, even in the short amount of time I lived in New York, the transformation of the Bowery, like that's insane. 
and people are up in arms about these city bikes now and every i mean like it's it is like yeah i mean I, even from the time i lived there it's like mars bars closed like all this old stuff seems to close and the city bikes are fine if the bikes stop working if you don't obey the traffic laws yeah, I, <laughs> noise I, me. I, to me, I'm just like I'm not gonna ride a bike in Manhattan. I think it's too dangerous for mm-hmm. me personally. I, and it's not. I feel like I just don't trust the drivers in Manhattan. Yeah, to be on this little, it's too vulnerable for me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm not. I, I think environmentally and all that stuff, it's great. And I would rather Citibank paid for it than tax dollars. So yeah, you should find an alternate form of exercise such as yoga. Yes, and you should study with Ray Capo. Yes. It was just uh, announced that yoga is not considered a religion, so they can teach it in schools. Did you know? I did know that. Um, I think that's great. Well done. Well done, First Amendment. Well done, America. Can it get you to work in 10 minutes, though? Hmm. If you work in a yoga studio. It can get, I mean, or if you work in your apartment. Like I do. Shabam. Touche. If you like all this witty repartee, hit us up on <laughs> Facebook.com slash going off track. Uh, I want to thank all the folks who have been donating to our wonderful website. You are out there. We have received your emails and responded in kind. Thank you very much. If you'd like to donate for us to keep this thing going, because we know podcasts are a great way to learn how to break even in the world, uh, go to goingofftrack.com, click on donate. And also, uh, we're tinkering around with the new release schedule for the podcast where we're throwing up our previews on a Monday and throwing out the podcast on a Wednesday specifically for you commuters. Yes. Also, we just think it's better for us. Yeah, and if you like it, uh, let us know through one of the many social media platforms we have. Yeah, give us a review. What, when do you want the podcast? What do you want? What do you like? Oh, my heavens. Throw suggestions. Throw We've suggestions. Great suggestions from people um, from faraway lands. Uh, follow us all on Twitter, uh, at going off track and uh, that's it the show. Oh, I want to give a shout out to Ian from Glasgow who's been super supportive of the podcast right on Ian thank you right on Glasgow. Glasgow Glasgow Magui <laughs>